Good morning, East Brainerd Church family. And I don't know, uh, I, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I, I've just got to be uh, kind of transparent with you here for a moment. Uh, sitting down in the location where I am at here in the corner uh, on Sunday mornings, uh, it, it is a blessing for me just to be able to to listen to the praises of God's people and, and to be able to, to listen to these words that we are all singing together and today how, how those words are, are focused on the supremacy of Christ in our life and, and then to be able to, to mix both old and new together and, and, and to be able then to come to the same focus and the same focal point here in our praise together and and then to be able to, to weave bread and cup into that. And it's just a, it's a very encouraging thing for me. And um, I, uh, I really just wanted just to um, stay there in, in the corner and, and just say, let's just, let's just keep doing what we are doing because of just the encouragement that, that I felt. And I hope that you have felt the same way, not just today, but whenever you are here in our midst. We come together to bring our individual lives of worship to, to this location, to be able to, to praise God with one another and to be able to encourage one another towards more love and, and good deeds and, and good works and a life lived in, in service to Jesus Christ and in service to, to those that we see each and every day. And I hope that that's what you experience each and time you're here in our midst. And if you are our guest today, thanks so much for accepting someone's invitation or just stopping in and spending some time with us today as you are on to your next, your next journey. We greatly appreciate it. There's an old apocryphal story about two shoe salesmen who went to a foreign country in hopes of scouting out a, a location to build a, a new shoe factory. And after surveying area after area, and land after, after land, and after talking with, with people of all different ages and backgrounds, the first man telegraphed back to headquarters and said, nobody here wears shoes, so there's little need to build a shoe factory. The second man saw the same land, he talked to the same people, but he came to a different conclusion. So he telegraphed back to headquarters and said, nobody here wears shoes. This is the greatest opportunity we've ever had. Let's start building. I love that story because especially when, and I don't care if it's true or not, it's just a neat story. And I love it because I think about what we are talking about here with our, our BHAG, our big, hairy, audacious goal. You see, there are currently more people in the United States between the ages of 9 and 42 than between the ages of 43 and 77. A large percentage of those individuals have no connection whatsoever to Jesus Christ. And, in fact, almost 40% of those under 42 have no religious affiliation whatsoever. Generally speaking, the younger a person is in our country, in our society, the more likely he or she is to be religiously unaffiliated. So what do we tell headquarters? Do we say, well, since fewer and fewer people are, are interested in religion, we might as well just close up our doors 
Because after all, church attendance has decreased every year since 2000. And it's expected that at least 4,000 churches are going to close their doors this year. Nobody's wearing shoes. Or, do we look at the current spiritual landscape and say, nobody's wearing shoes. What an awesome opportunity. I mean, what a great opportunity. Fewer people are connected to a church community than ever before, and there are fewer and fewer communities of faith. What a great opportunity to fill the void and to serve the community in the name of Jesus Christ and to introduce to a new generation the kingdom of God. Let's start building. What message do we send to headquarters? What message do we send to this community? What message are we sending to our own children? What message are we, are we sending to, well, just to ourselves individually? If you've been following us over the last month and a half, you know that, that here at, at EB, we have taken the view that God has called us to be a faith community known for our in-reach and for our outreach to the next generation. We're thankful for each and every individual who's a part of this church body and for every generation that it represents, but we are not content to still be this congregation in 10 years because we know that there is another generation and another generation and there'll be another generation who will be growing up in this society and we want to be able to bring them to a life-restoring relationship to Jesus Christ. It's our big, hairy, audacious goal. We want to partner with God's Holy Spirit to connect the next generation to Jesus. But how do we do it? That's the question, right? I mean, that's the question that everybody is asking within the religious community. How do we connect individuals who, who say or who feel they have no interest in religion? How do we connect those individuals to a church community that says this is life? Well, I suppose it depends on what we actually try to connect them to. A Barner research study released earlier this year found that overall, Gen Zs in the U.S., these are those individuals who are in their teens, 13 to 17, and the young adults who are 18 to 22, that those individuals have a positive view of who Jesus is. They believe he offers hope to people, that he cares about people, and that he is trustworthy. And at least 77% of that generation say that they are somewhat motivated to keep learning about Jesus throughout the next years of their life. And friends, this is encouraging news and it falls in line in what has been reported about their millennial counterparts. Those who are under the age of 45 enjoy talking about Jesus. They don't mind having conversations about Jesus. The next generations like Jesus. They are just unsure about his followers. They're unsure about his church because they feel the church has lost the values that Jesus taught. So last week I shared author Dana Butler Bass's insights that young adults have evidently heard that Christianity is supposed to be a religion about love and forgiveness and practicing what Jesus preached and that faith should have real meaning in life. 
but that they are just judging Christianity on its own teachings and believe that the American churches are just coming up short. Something is missing. Something is missing, but what is it? Well, perhaps it says one millennial blogger shared, we know we seem like aliens. Again, these are those that are now age 42. We know we seem like aliens, wearing plaid and hair buns. We have an obsession with coffee and craft beer. We thrive on art and empathy. And where witnessing attempts are concerned, we're apparently less likely to respond to logic than the previous generation. In many of these millennial dropout books, we're, we're practically called an alien species. We're called confusing, perplexing, a new breed of human. Like scientists poking a lab specimen, you crowd around us and ask, how do we get you to eat? How do we get you to drink the water of life? Do we offer it coffee? Should we hire a pastor with more tattoos and skinnier jeans? Hello, friends, he writes. We're not apes, you know. The reason we're staring blankly back is the, is the fact that, frankly, we're insulted. We don't want coffee. We don't necessarily want multicolored stage lights and fog machines. We want Jesus. And we can't find him in your churches. Friends, we have a next generation that is looking for Jesus. And it's why Bass concludes that the next generation's discontent about what is currently may reflect a deeper longing for a better sort of Christianity, one that embodies Jesus' teachings in life in a way that makes a real world difference. Nobody's wearing shoes. But what does that mean for us here at EB? Well, if we want to connect the next generation to Christ then we must strive to have Jesus Christ and his love at the center of everything that we do. The center of everything that we do. Very few people or companies or churches can articulate why they do the things that they do. Do you realize that? What they do, people can quickly tell you how they do it. They can describe that. But why? In fact, there's a lot of you that if someone were to ask, why do you do this at your church? Or why do you do that? Well, you might yourself even struggle to give a clear answer. In fact, if you were to ask 10 different people here who are part of our church family, why at EB do you pack over 10,000 food bags each month? Well, you might get 10 different answers, and all of them being, being good answers. But the simple response is Jesus Christ and his love is at the center of everything that we do. And because Jesus was a loving champion of the underprivileged and underserved, we strive to be as well. Or how about, why at EB do you have archery classes every Tuesday night? Well, we could say that we just like shooting things with sharp pointy sticks and, and we're in prep for the zombie apocalypse and we're trying to do what we can to make everybody ready. Or we could say, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad Kevin agrees with that. <laughs> or we could say, Kevin, 
Jesus Christ and his love are at the center of everything that we do. And because Jesus lovingly used creative imagery and activities to point people to God, so do we. And guys, Kevin does a great job of doing just that. And not only him, but all the volunteers that help in that ministry. Or maybe the question comes, why at EB do you have a ministry that focuses on individuals from Central and South America? Well, Jesus and his love are at the center of everything that we do. And because Jesus welcomed the outsider, so do we. Or, now I've heard this question before. Why at EB do you sometimes study and talk about controversial or divisive topics? Well, we love emails. <laughs> no, okay, that's not it. Jesus Christ and his love are at the center of everything that we do. And because Jesus was not afraid to lovingly engage in difficult conversations about the meaning and application of God's word, neither are we. And guys, there are some difficult conversations that are going to be coming, that we're going to have to have with each other and with those in our community. People don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. And our why must be Jesus and his love. That must be our, our center. It's why we say that our mission is to move others closer to a life-restoring relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, we want to introduce others to our center. And we get this when it comes to dating, right? I mean, you remember when you first brought that special guy or that special girl home to meet the parents. You remember that. Maybe you had met at college or at work. Perhaps you swiped right on the dating app. There had been others, but none that you really wanted to just introduce to everybody. And you wanted everyone to meet. But then you found that special someone. That person who began to become the center of all your time and attention. That person that you began to center everything around. And so you started making plans to introduce them to the rest of your family. And then you started giving instructions on things that your family could talk about. Or things that your family could not talk about. Things that, Dad, you cannot bring this up, right? Or, Mom, please don't do this. Everything had to be just right. The right time, the right place. My family will tell you that when I brought Tanya to Christmas, that was me declaring that, that she was the one. We want others to meet the person who is the center of our attention. And so... We make it Facebook official. We change our, our Instagram photo. We make a TikTok video. We ask if it's okay to, to bring a plus one. We want others to know. We get this in dating. Now, I know that back in the day, a lot of us did not have social media to make this kind of declaration, but we had water towers, didn't we? Man, we had water towers, and we painted those bad boys John Deere green because we wanted everybody to know. That Billy Bob loves Charlene. We get it when it comes to dating. And friends, it's got to be the same here with our church family. We must want the world to know the one who is the center of everything that we do. We must want others to come to a life-restoring relationship with Jesus Christ. And that means that we must filter everything we do through a Jesus lens. He is our focus and he is our attention. And so there's no telling what we might do in the name of Jesus, but certainly we know the why and the reason that is going to be done. 
So let's think just a little bit here as we kind of come over the hill and begin our descent. Let's think a little bit about the results of being centered on Jesus. When Jesus Christ is at the center of everything that you do, it influences the message. And it makes the message simple. It makes the message simple. The Apostle Paul demonstrated this, this truth when he reminded the Christians who were living in Corinth about his time with them. He said, look, for I resolved, and he uses a legal term here that meant a choice made by separating one from the other. He said, I made a choice. I made a resolution. And he told them, I resolved to know nothing when I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now look, Paul could have talked about Abraham or Moses, and he did that when speaking to a lot of Jewish audiences, but, but always through the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And Paul could have talked about the politics of the day. He was a Roman citizen, after all. And, and you know what? He could have shared with them about his own personal feelings concerning life and living. Come on, Paul, tell us what you feel. Tell us what you feel is true. All of those subjects and more were on the table. But because Jesus Christ and his love were at the center of Paul's life, he sifted through all the different available messages and chose. And he resolved to make his message about Jesus and the crucifixion. Jesus and his love. Now understand, a focus on Jesus will influence all of our conversations. All of our conversations about religion, and our conversations about politics, our conversations about truth, our conversations about sexuality, our conversations about materialism, our conversations about justice and righteousness and sin. But all of those conversations will flow from a stream whose origin and source is the person of Jesus Christ, meaning that God's truths will be shared with Christ's love. Scripture will be viewed through a mercy lens, and our message will point others to Jesus. You see, at East Brainerd, we must want people to fall in love with Jesus. And hear me close. We must want people to fall in love with Jesus, not our positions, not our ministries, and not even our, our church. You see, you focus people's time and attention on an issue, and they will become consumed eventually by self-righteousness. You focus people's time and attention on a ministry, and they will serve until that ministry or that minister is gone. You focus people's time and attention on a specific church and they will attend until something changes or until someone disappoints them. And let's be honest, we have all at different seasons of our life complicated the message by trying to move people closer to a certain position or to a certain ideology, to a certain understanding, to a specific ministry, or even try to move them to a particular church. But focus people's time and attention on Jesus and his love, and they become concerned about people and not positions. And they serve out of a desire, not compulsion or convenience. And they worship daily, partnering with others who are seeking to bring heaven's ethic to earth. And guys, this idea is so important because the message that we share is the message that we convert people to. And we want to convert people to Jesus. 
We want Jesus people. We want Jesus followers. We want disciples of Jesus. And guess what? We've got generations outside these walls, inside these walls, who are saying, you know what? Jesus ain't so bad. I like the idea of Jesus. I like that. But I know that we all know of individuals and Christians who if you don't side with them on an issue or a topic, they're going to question your faithfulness. And we know the person whose faith is more in the Bible than in the God who, with whom the Bible reveals. Or the person who believes that everyone must attend their church in order to be accepted by God. All good people. All good people. But people who were converted to a message that did not have Jesus Christ and his love at the center. So here we will not put moral decisions or social decisions or denominational decisions ahead of the next generation's decision about Jesus. At East Brainerd, we desire to move people to a life-restoring relationship with Jesus. With Jesus. Why? Because he's at the center of everything we do. And it makes the message simple. And it's that simplicity that will resonate with the next generation. So having Jesus Christ and his love at the center of everything that we do, it influences the message and it also influences the messenger. Many of the letters that were written by the Apostle Paul arrived at churches that were struggling to figure out how to assimilate people of different ages and of different backgrounds and of different belief systems. Jewish Christians were being asked that, okay, we know that you've been following the Mosaic law with all of its rules and with all of its rituals, but now that we're going to be asking you to trust Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of those rules. And there were Gentile Christians who were used to worshiping multiple deities, and they were now being asked to consider to focus on one God above all others. And each group was being asked to consider major thought and life changes. And it made for all kinds of personal and then congregational tension. And at the top of all that was the fact that the cultures and the belief systems of the two groups were so different, they had so little in common, how were they going to have any kind of common community? And so Paul's approach was to focus his audience on their one commonality. And guess what it was? Go ahead and say it with me. Jesus. That was the commonality. So he wrote in Philippians chapter 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of his servant. And being found and made in human likeness as the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Even the death on the cross that we sang about earlier. Paul is saying, Christians, this is how you should think. And this is how you should act. And he gives this beautiful description of the nature of Jesus. And he does this with the expectation that his readers will adopt this very nature. In your relationships and in your marriages and in your business dealings, in your social circles, you take on the nature, you take on the attitude, you take on the mindset of Jesus. And what was that mindset? Well, I think you can really sum it up with one sentence. It's not about me. It's not about my rights. It's not about my wants. It's not about my needs. It's not about my life. 
Now look, if you want to show the world that you are not focused on Jesus, then just go ahead and live a selfish life. Because I can't get more non-Jesus than that. Live a life that shows that Jesus has little influence on you. Again, let me have you listen to a millennial blogger. She asked, why should we be Christian? We see Christian fathers who still verbally abuse their sons. Been to any sporting events recently, guys? We see Christian women so shriveled and insecure, we wonder if there's still a person left in there. You been to church lately? We see Christian pastors who molest girls and boys in their congregation. Been watching the news? This is what we see, she says. Christ has done nothing for them, or at least not enough. Many of the non-Christians we know are far more loving, far more alive. If no Christ has made them people we'd love to be, while Christianity creates people we beg to never be, then why should we be Christian? Christianity hasn't changed those Christians' lives. And she's got a point. And we must own the fact that the Christian community as a whole has a history of being unchristlike in a lot of ways. You see, we strive to, to center on Jesus, but that's not always what happens. But I don't want you to become discouraged or frustrated when you witness a different focus or when you are the one whose focus is off-center. The Apostle Paul once wrote, while, while he had the goal of centering on Christ and becoming more like his Savior, that even he had not yet been able to arrive at that goal. But instead of giving up or becoming discouraged, he said, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on. He uses a word to mean I aggressively chase with the anticipation of catching. I, I aggressively chase the goal of becoming more like Jesus. You want to have Jesus Christ at the center of everything that you do. You want Jesus and his love to be your why. But sometimes, or maybe many times, you find that your decisions and that your actions are focused on something or someone else. Well, guys, let me remind you of something, and I know I've told you this in the past. It's the most therapeutic phrase in the English language. If you're somebody that you're like, man, I've, I've wanted Chris to have Jesus as the center, and that's what I'm fighting for. That's, that's what I'm chasing after, but it seems like I can just never, I can never reach that. It just seems like I keep falling backwards. Most therapeutic phrase in the English language, get over it. Get over it. Yeah, I know. Channing, you want to look at your mom right now and say, get over it. You do. I, I can see the look on your face. I see it, right? There, there, there are some of you, husbands and wives, you've been waiting for this, so I'm going to give you the moment. I want you to look at the person that's sitting next to you. Just look at him right now, and with a big smile on your face, say, get over it. Go ahead. Oh, doesn't that make you feel better right there? I think I saw somebody in the back sitting by themselves. They got up and walked and, went and found somebody. They're like, get over it. Whatever it is, get over it. 
Forget what happened yesterday or last week or last year and reach out toward tomorrow. Aggressively chase after a Jesus-centered life. Don't let the fact that you have failed in the past, don't let the fact that temptation has overwhelmed you, don't let what you have done before impact what you can do for God today. Show yourself willing to let go of your rights. Demonstrate your willingness to adapt and change. Walk away from the habits and the desires that have been the most important to you. That is a Jesus-focused life. He had the right to be worshipped, but he chose to go unnoticed. Others should have been serving him, but he came to be a servant. He walked away from heaven so that we could enjoy it. It's not about me. Having Jesus and his love at the center, it changes the message and it changes the messenger. And if we aggressively chase after a Jesus-centered life, I truly believe this, it will get the attention of the next generation. Friends, we live in a society where fewer and fewer individuals are wearing church shoes. It's just a fact. It didn't happen overnight. It's been coming. This, this tidal wave has been coming Tens of millions of formerly regular Christian worshipers nationwide have decided they no longer desire to attend church at all. And for the first time in the eight decades, for the first time in the 80 years that Gallup has tracked American religious membership, there are now more adults in the United States who claim no religious affiliation, no church affiliation, than those who acknowledge a connection with a spiritual institution. Now, how do you respond to that information? And I know for a long time, whenever we've had conversations like this, and, and maybe if you're visiting with us, you've heard this perhaps in, in, within your church community, and, and maybe you've sat there, and boy, you, you just shook your head, and you've gone, oh, my, my, my. What's going to become of this generation? Maybe you've sat there and gone, what, what, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. How have you responded to this information? What message have you sent back to headquarters? Because nobody's wearing church shoes. But friends, because of that, you and I have a tremendous opportunity in front of us. Oh, there used to be a time where you couldn't throw a rock without hitting somebody that would tell you where they went to church and we would talk about the small group that they were a part of or, or their pastor this or, or, or what, their, what their papa used to do and how they would read the Bible and all these things. I mean, you could find people everywhere. Guess what? Now you can't throw a rock without hitting someone who says, religion not really for me. Church, haven't really been in a long time. I don't really know. I don't really see the point. What an awesome opportunity nobody's wearing church shoes these these days guys nobody but i'm thankful to be a part of a church family that sees our current situation as an opportunity to build on what god is already doing in our midst i'm thankful i'm thankful for every generation that is represented within this church body and for the way that god has used this place through the years and i'm looking forward to what's going to happen in the future because at one time, each of us who were over the age of 50 was part of the next generation. Do you remember that? Those of you over 50, you remember when you were cool? Yeah. Remember when you knew it all? Remember when um, your clothes were the in style? Remember that? When you were the next generation? 
Well, aren't you glad that someone cared enough to share Jesus with you? Aren't you excited about that? Aren't you thankful? You know, here's what I want you to do right now. I want you out loud to say the name of the person that shared Jesus with you. It might be mom, it might be dad, it might be mama, papa. It could be a friend, it could have been a teacher, it could have been someone at school. I don't know who it was. I don't know what pastor it was. But whoever it was that first shared the love of Jesus with you, I just want you to say their name out loud right now. Ready? One, two, three. Did you notice that nobody said the same name? We didn't all say the same name. We said different names because there were different individuals that came into our lives at different times. And aren't you glad that someone cared enough to share Jesus with you? And now it is our turn to pay it forward. So let Jesus Christ and his love be at the center of everything that you do. And the next generation will one day say your name and give praise to God. Can we give him praise this morning as we stand and sing together?